Game Cola faithful, and welcome to the Game Cola podcast. This is podcast number 139. I am feeling fine, and I am also your host and podcast commander, Joseph Martin, joined by a lot of people in spirit, though not in person. Uh, so what we did, we have a very special episode planned for you because now it is the year 2020. And to celebrate the fact that it is a year with a nice zero at the end of it, we are going to be covering our personal favorite games of the decade, from 2010 to 2019. Um, part of this is because it's a lot easier over the holidays to record in little sections, but we also have some submissions from the Game Cola Faithful that you'll be hearing. So what you're going to be hearing is each... Uh, staff member, member of the Game Cola Faithful will come on individually with their own recording, tell you about their personal favorite game. Maybe it's not necessarily the game they think is the best, but it's a game that is meaningful to them in this decade for some reason that came out this decade and that they felt like they wanted to talk about and highlight as a highlight of the decade. I said highlight twice, but it's my podcast, so I can do whatever I want, Mom! Without further ado, then, why don't you uh, have a little listen to some of our favorite games of the decade, including submissions from uh, James and John, who did not introduce themselves. But don't worry, I just did it for you guys. You don't have to worry about it. They, the people who don't introduce themselves are James and John in that order, and it's all good. All right, let's go to the podcast. Hey, this is Dan Conlon. My favorite game of the decade, Mass Effect 3, hands down. As far as I'm concerned, it's Bioware's magnum opus. I know a lot of people probably think it's like KOTOR or maybe Dragon Age. No, for me, Mass Effect 3, not even the second one. I'm honestly almost positive people put it lower than 2 just because of the ending. And that's not fair because it's got the best writing in the series, it's got the best gameplay in the series aside from Andromeda, and honestly, it's got the most emotional beats in there. And unlike some some movies that I won't mention, like, you know, recent movies, maybe, these emotional beats, they were earned. And it feels they actually paid off. And that really helped. And the ending, I mean, there are multiple endings, sure. And I understand that they're unsatisfying for some people, but to claim that they make the rest of the series worse or make the rest of the game worse that's just that's petty the endings were yeah i get it but a lot of people like to complain about them saying that they're full of plot holes that they didn't solve anything but no every single dangling thread at least worthwhile one in the series was tied up by the end and just because the ending didn't address all of them doesn't mean they weren't fixed before time you know, I could go on forever about that, and I won't, because we're all on a schedule here. I'll just reiterate what I said. Mass Effect 3, my game of the decade. No contest. Picking my favorite game of the decade is, to a certain extent, an impossibility, just because I don't think I could definitively say that one game out of all the ones released in the last 10 years is my favorite above all else. We've just had so many good games come out. In recent memory, there's Danganronpa V3, Persona 5, Resident Evil 2 Remake, and many others. But I think a game that really stood out to me 
surprisingly so, was Fire Emblem Three Houses. And previously, I've never really been a huge strategy game kind of person. I'd, I'd tried dabbling in a couple of the Fire Emblem games, uh, both on GBA and uh, more recently on the 3DS, but they'd never really held my attention for very long. I wasn't super interested in the gameplay. But at the constant nagging of my friends, I decided to pick up three houses, and it just absolutely hooked me. Uh, first and foremost, to say nothing of the gameplay, there's a huge amount of flexibility and depth to that gameplay that they've changed up since some of the previous games that if I were a more strategy game-oriented person, I could probably delve into for ages and ages. But what really caught my eye was the character interactions between the various students of your class and the other classes, uh, not only with you, the, the main character, but also with each other. And that's an aspect where I think actually the Persona series uh, and even the Danganronpa series, both of which are very well known for their social aspects uh, and, and strong characters, uh, could really stand to learn a thing or two. Because it's one thing to see the interactions between all the characters and your main character, which, for all intents and purposes, is an extension of you, the player. Uh, but when you do that, if you limit yourself to just that, there's only a certain amount of depth that you can see in the characters, because they're just bouncing ideas off of you, your perspective, your way of thinking. But when you introduce one-on-one -on -one interactions with all of the other students, like they do in Fire Emblem Three Houses, it creates a whole new level of depth that you can see into each and every character, because now each character and their fundamental way of thinking is now talking with someone completely different that isn't just an extension of you, but potentially an entirely different way of thinking, a person with totally different ideals, totally different ways of solving problems, and totally different understandings of how things should work in the world. And I think that that above all else is what really makes the character interactions so captivating. You can see anger and animosity between two characters. You can see characters struggling to get along but trying to make it work. You can see characters that both share the same sadness or, or understanding or empathy of, of something bad that's happened to the both of them collectively. And just so much more. And being able to see all of these interactions is just fascinating and enjoyable on a massive, massive scale. And I think that, above all else, is why Fire Emblem Three Houses is one of my favorite games of the past decade. Hey, Game Cola, it's Superfan Axe, aka Axe Eternity, and about a million other Axe based puns. So, I saw that you put the call out for the best game of the decade. And I had so much fun playing so many different games in the last 10 years, but there was one game that really stood out to me as the biggest, most important one of all, and that was the original Dark Souls. Released back in 2011 by From Software, Dark Souls was a one-of-a-kind game that launched an entire new genre. You see it in lots of other games from similar, you know, what they call them, Soulsborne clones, 
uh, to now there's a whole 2D subgenre of Soulsborne games. And just that unique mix of difficult enemies, learning from mistakes to push forward, and limited strategic healing. Yeah, it was really just a whole new way of playing uh, that was unique to this past decade. Anyway, here's to another exciting decade of fun games and awesome Game Cola content. Hey everyone, Diana here to talk about my game of the decade, which is incredibly difficult to do because there were so many amazing games this decade that I have played and enjoyed, and it's really too hard for me to narrow it down to one, so I am expressly breaking Joe's instructions. And uh, But I have a reason. So I have three th- games slash series that I want to mention for different reasons, and I promise I'm going to keep it short. But so on a personal level, obviously the series that has meant the most to me that was released in this decade was Ace Attorney. I know, I know what everyone's going to say. Duh, of course she would say Ace Attorney. But I... I just, I can't overstate how important Ace Attorney has been to me as a person, as a streamer and YouTuber, and just, like, in general. Like, I don't think I would be where I am today without Ace Attorney. That being said, uh, the second game that I wanted to mention is the game that I fell in love with because I watched someone else play it, and that, of course, is Xenoblade Chronicles. I... Never thought that I would be able to, you know, fall in love with a game on such a personal level through watching someone else play it as opposed to playing it myself first. But Xenoblade really broke my expectations on that one. I first watched Trigger Conroy play it, you know, a couple years back, whatever that Let's Play was. And then uh, I got to watch Nintendo Free Sun stream it again this year and fell in love with the game all over again. Um, So that is that. But I think... My game of the decade, and this is, again, such a hard decision, but it's a game that I have been able to share with many of the most important people in my life, and that is Persona 5. Um, Obviously, uh, it's just such an important game to me because it was a game that I saw the first 30 minutes of and fell in love. Like, I knew that this was a game that I needed to play to completion, And I knew that it was a game that once I completed, I was going to need to share with everyone. That was super important to me. Um, The soundtrack is incredible. The gameplay is outstanding. I am so excited for Royal in 2020 so that when we all talk about this next decade, I could say that Persona 5 Royal was my game of the decade once again. Uh, But yeah, I think that's, that's everything. I tried to keep it short. So I hope everyone had a great holiday season, and I look forward to uh, everything that's going to come in 2020. Love you all, and see you later. Bye! Hello, everyone, the Game Cola Podcast. Hello, listeners, and hello to my future self. I am Akbal, and I am one of the members of the Game Cola Faithful, and you might have seen me on the Discord or just... A few times my name showed up on the Giggle podcast. <laughs> so, this question was very hard for me to answer. It took me a long time to think of a really good one. I first thought of like games that were important to me that came out the last decade. It was like Style Savvy or Story of Seasons. And I thought about the game that 
I wouldn't have owned these games if I haven't owned a 2DS. And I thought, for the first of the first game I got on my 2DS, and how important that game was to me. So on Christmas of 2013, I was hopefully I was really excited because I put it on my Christmas list that I wanted this game. So I ended up opening up Animal Crossing New Leaf, and I ended up op- and I ended up opening up my 2DS, and then I was all like, "Yay, I got it!" And I really wanted to get Animal Crossing because when I was used to own or maybe still have the CD Animal Crossing City Folk, but the CD broke and <laughs> we couldn't open it up anymore. And so like, I want to play Animal Crossing again. So this is why I asked for a 2DS just so I could play Animal Crossing again. <laughs> and it was like the first time ever I was super dedicated to something like, like this because I first opened up my town and I was like, should I name my town? And my cousin was just like, well, you name it Wonderland, and that couldn't fit. So I just named it Wonder instead. And to this day, anytime I own a business or something like that, it's always named Wonder. It's a really stupid reason why. <laughs> and I just, like, open up the game, and I meet everyone, and I work hard, and I built so many different things in my town, and I used to water every single plant every single flower and this is the reason why in my town to this day there's a million flowers everywhere there's like no way you can just walk like a feet without running into some sort of flower there's flowers everywhere and just having moments like that and just like moments like oh i caught a new bug i caught a new fish and turning into museum and for once it wasn't already donated by my brother. I donated it. I donated all this stuff myself. <laughs> and being like prideful, like er, like when like people are so happy and like presents are so happy to me. It's like, like thank you for doing this. Like, no, you're welcome. <laughs> and I always just felt, always just loved like and going in every day. And I feel bad because I. Slowly, I just stopped coming in, and this year, on I mean last year, on the thirty first New Year's Eve, I decided to log. I I keep saying log in. It's not online, <laughs> so I had to go on, and I, and the first thing that happened mostly was just Isabel was like, "Hey, your town is open for six years now. Why don't we go and have fun? Why don't I go like?" Have the ceremony for you. It's like okay, I feel bad. <laughs> so I go and just like, yay! I feel so proud. And at the same time, I feel like I'm the most awful person in the world. And all I can think is, why did I ever leave this town? And as I still think, it's like, why did I ever leave? And I celebrate New Year's with these guys, and I'm so glad I did because. I would have missed that if I haven't had, I didn't decide to log, I, to play that day. And, and here's also one thing I also did when I was 16 years old. I decided to like send a letter to my future self. And I know you can send a letter to your future self. It's the only time I decided to do it. 
and I, this letter is still important to me to this day, and I actually just wanted to read it for you guys. So it says, to my future self, happy 18th birthday, you're now an adult, which means you're old, yay! <laughs> I know you will, that we will soon be entering the real world, and it will be hard, so good luck! <laughs> From 16 year old you. <laughs> And you know it's for me when that, like, the sentence sounds weird. <laughs> well, I am also very glad I, I have Animal Crossing, and I'm very glad I introduced me to games that never really end, and that you always keep playing, and there's, like, no official real ending. You just keep going, and you just keep having fun. Whatever the heck you want, you just come right back, and just go on for the adventure. Thank you for listening to my long, terrible description of why I love this game so much. Bye, everyone! Hello, it's me, Jetty, your Jetter-in-Chief, and my favorite video game of the decade is definitely 2016's Hyper Light Drifter. A lot of retro indie games I play have beautiful graphics, but they end up disappointing in one way or another. Owlboy had a great story, but complex controls. Iconoclast had simple controls, but an overblown story. Blaster Master Zero 2 isn't bad, but it just kind of leaves it at good enough. For me, Hyper Light Drifter hits a 10 in every field. The graphics are incredible, and the world design really pulls you in. The controls feel natural and don't get in the way, giving you action-packed battles that are a challenge without being frustrating. The game is all about exploration, which if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know is a big deal for me. There's a great world, and it's fun to search every corner, especially when it pays off with all the secrets and bonuses. The story, I can admit, may not be for everyone, as you kind of have to search for it. But when exploration is kind of my deal, it works for me a lot better than sitting through pages and pages of dialogue. As an adult, where free time is a premium, I have trouble investing in games that are going to just waste my time. So understand that I bought this game in 2016 and 100%ed it, and I now also own the special edition for Switch, which I plan to do the same for GameCola's YouTube channel, GC.net. I will mention my one runner-up, just because it's really difficult to compare such wildly different experiences. If you prefer adventure games or visual novels over action games, definitely check out 2064 Read-Only Memories. Hey, it's me, Joseph Martin, again. It's only been about five seconds since I last spoke words out loud, but for you it's been a lot longer because of the magic of podcast editing. Uh, I hope you're enjoying yourself so far, but now it's my turn to tell you things about a video game that I liked. And I know what you're all thinking. You all looked at the thumbnail, except maybe if you're on iTunes or Spotify. I don't know if you get the thumbnail from there. But you all saw the little Mega Man hand in there. And you know, I know what you're thinking. Mega Man, right? Mega Man 11 came out. And Mega Man 11 was a very important event for me culturally. In the sense that it has brought Mega Man back into the public conscious. But it's not the game that I want to talk about. Because it is a good game. But it's not necessarily, it came out kind of later in the decade. I spent a lot of time playing other Mega Man games in that decade, so I wouldn't consider it necessarily the overarching thing. Because what I thought of immediately when I pitched this idea to myself, as I do with most podcast ideas that I have about this podcast, was the game Kid Icarus Uprising. If you don't know, Kid Icarus Uprising was a 3DS game launched fairly early in this cycle, but it was uh, produced by, developed by uh, Sakurai, the guy who made 
originally made Kirby is currently responsible for all of the fun Smash Brothers stuff that we've been doing. But this was one of his few ventures outside of those two categories of game in between uh, Brawl and Smash for 3DS and Wii U. And it's just a very, it's such a different game than I've played for other things. And I know shooters aren't necessarily a, a unique thing. And maybe just because I haven't played it doesn't mean it's particularly unique. But just the combination of this shooting game where you've got to control your character to dodge things but then also aim with the stylus and then you've also got these like really specific characterizations of this really old property that really has no business being this entertaining and yet and yet these characters are really endearing the localization is fantastic right i don't there's lots of little differences i'm sure but like it translates so well the humor is so fun the stylistic choices of combining this sort of more Japanese mythology with these uh, more Western, you know, mythology like, you know, Medusa, right? Com the combination of that creates a really unique style for this world and mythology that's fun. It's like playing a Saturday morning cartoon is something that I've said before, but I mean, it's really just the humor and the way it intermingles, the way that you've got, like, these two different, completely different gameplay modes that are still both engaging in their own way. It's just a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it a lot. It is too bad, I, and I, I will understand that people had trouble with the controls, and that they were a little rough, and I can understand that. I managed to get used to them, so I get that if that was a struggle for you. But if, if, if that was a struggle for you... And we're going to continue to be sad and never get a Switch port of this game, even though I would love a Switch port of this video game. I would highly recommend at least watching through it because the, the stuff in there is really interesting, even if you're not playing it. And it was a, a great game of the past decade. And really, the mechanics of it really set up a lot of stuff that we're seeing now, like the, the difficulty, the choose your own difficulty is like, a hallmark of the current way that games have started approaching difficulty as more of a choose your own thing rather than a this is a hard and you have to do hard or this is easy and you gotta do it easy stuff like that there's a lot of stuff that you may see being carried over into other games that you may not have necessarily thought about to kind of like how earthbound is inspired a lot of stuff and stuff like that though earthbound and kid across uprising probably inspired very different game mechanics i've been talking for a long time now. It is a game called a podcast, so I would hope that you're used to that. But I think we're, I'm going to let other people say things about video games, and I'll catch you at the end of the podcast. Now, as easy as it would be to mention a popular and overly talked about game like GTA V, Breath of the Wild, or even Skyrim here, as amazing as they are, and I love every single one of them, I want to sing the praises of a great game that was honestly recognized for its greatness when it came out, but not as too much of an extent as those mentioned before. Limbo is one of the greatest and few games of this decade that, while I've only played it once, I still think about to this day. The setting, the level designs, the puzzle designs, the atmosphere, it was all something I've, I've never seen in a 2D platformer before. Every element of this game has so much thought put into it that, re that it results in an end product that's haunting, poignant, heartbreaking, and one of the best executions of thematic storytelling in a video game ever. Coming out in 2010 alongside the indie hit Super Meat Boy, both of these games defined how audiences and the general public would view video games for the next 10 years. 
indie games became on a huge rise during the 2010s, and both these games were the headliners for it. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have like successful click Kickstarter campaigns for like Bloodstained or Shovel Knight or any other great indie games that came out this decade. Hi, I'm Little Winky, and my favorite game of the decade is Xenoblade Chronicles X. Well, it's not the best game of the decade by any means, it's the one that stayed with me the longest. The world is so vast and absolutely gorgeous. There were a lot of open world games this decade, but the premise of X being on an alien world opens so many doors for it. This game is chock full of things to discover, so many flora and fauna, each with their own fascinating encyclopedia entries, and discovering new landmarks is super rewarding for the scenery alone. And when you unlock the mechs, the world opens up just that much more. The fact that Monolith Soft managed to make such a huge world that not only is full of so many things to discover, but still feels huge even when you're in a giant mech flying above it all is incredible. I'll never forget the night I flew to the top of Silvalum's Noctilucent Sphere and watched the Crimson Aurora play across the night sky. It was absolutely breathtaking. While the chances of X receiving a Switch port seem low at the moment, I still hold out hope that it'll eventually receive one. Not everything in the game is perfectly implemented, but the world truly feels alive, and it 100% deserves a second chance for people who missed out on it on the Wii U. Hey there, it's me. It's Matt Breslau. You know me. I'm a staff writer for Game Cola, and uh, I love video games. I'll be honest, there are a lot of games that I could pick as my definitive game of this past decade, and it took me a little while to decide because... As a collector, I'm constantly getting more and more games, which means I'm constantly playing more and more games. I actually had to stand by my shelf and look at all the games and think, did I, did I even play this game in this decade? What about this one? Which ones were actually worth talking about? And I settled on one um, for a lot of reasons, not just because of the gameplay, but also because it has sentimental value to me. And uh, I won't get too deep into that, but the game is Yoshi's Woolly World on the Wii U, which came out in 2015, and I just, I remember when it came out, because I was super hyped, because a stage from Woolly World appeared in Super Smash Bros. for Wii U before the game was released in North America, and I was really hyped, I grew up Loving Yoshi's Island. Yoshi's Island is my second favorite game of all time. And I'd been waiting for a true spiritual successor. Not even spiritual successor, just a, tr a true successor. Because I had enjoyed Yoshi's Island DS, but I didn't think that it was the successor I wanted. And Yoshi's New Island was good, but it it didn't thrill me. But then Yoshi's Woolly World came out, and it was purchased for me as a parting gift, sort of, um, by my new ex-girlfriend at the time. She felt bad that we were breaking up, and she purchased it for me. Um, I thought that that was sweet. I'd never uh, had that sort of thing happen to me before, so... But anyway, without getting into too much detail, um, I played it immediately, and I just... I fell in love. It felt like everything that I wanted from a new Yoshi-style game, like Yoshi's Island. And... About a year or so later, maybe two years later, I went back and I 100%ed it. And that's when I really knew that it was probably my favorite game 
from that decade that I had played up to that point. And that was only in 2016 or 17 when I 100%ed it. So we were still quite a ways off from the end of the decade. And I still, still really thought that that game was it. It has such charming gameplay and graphics. I mean, I'm sure that I don't have to speak too terribly long about the graphics because everyone was enamored by them when Goodfield came out with uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn. And this is just more of the same. But it's not even the graphics that make the gameplay, or that make the game, I should say, good. It's it's everything. Yoshi games have always been about, you know, substance, but at the same time, they've always been about ease of access. I think anybody can pick up a Yoshi-style game and just get into it, and you might not think it's a challenge. And to be honest, I often don't think it's a challenge. But I play games to completion. And you get a lot of that substance out of a Yoshi game when you challenge yourself to try and finish everything that it has to offer. I could go into a lot of detail about a lot of the game design and and some of the level structure, but I will say this. If you haven't played Yoshi's Woolly World, I'm recommending it not just because it's a fun, cutesy platformer, but because it is charming, it's sweet, it is, it's delectable. I, <laughs> I, I'm describing it like it's, it's a candy to be eaten, but picking up beads is satisfying, stomping on enemies is satisfying, collecting all of the wool in each level is satisfying, collecting every flower is satisfying, and even though Miiverse doesn't function anymore on the Wii U, collecting all of the stamp patches is really still very satisfying, just to see what stamps you've unlocked even though you can't use them anymore because they're cool little pieces of art that the game designers put in in the hopes that you would be able to use them. Rest in peace, Smeverse. But also the fact that you can change into different, not just colored Yoshis, but different style Yoshis. Whenever you collect all of the wool from a level, you unlock a new Yoshi to play as. So there's a lot of incentive to collect all of the wool in every level. Because you get to experience the game as a ton of different Yoshis. The game has amiibo support, so you can play as Yoshis styled after your favorite Nintendo characters using their Super Smash Bros. amiibo at the time. That Those were like the only ones that were released at that time. And there are special rewards uh, in the form of Yoshis for completing the special levels, which are unlocked by unlocking everything in all of the other levels in a world. You get Yoshis that are styled after Nintendo consoles, except for the Virtual Boy. Rest in peace, Virtual Boy. <laughs> the game has everything that I wanted from a new, a brand new Yoshi's Island and then some. And the challenge is there if you give it to yourself. And if not, well, then you're left with a lot of the charm. So in short, I guess, or maybe in long, since this is a couple minutes long already, that's why Yoshi's Woolly World is my favorite game of this past decade. Thank you, Yoshi's Woolly World. I'm going to 100% you again very soon. And here we are at the end of this podcast that you're listening to in the year 2020. I hope you enjoyed it. This was definitely one of the more outlandish things that I have decided to do to people. Just sort of decided. I mean, I asked people if it's okay, but it's also sort of like, Hi, this is the thing you're doing. It is interesting to see how everybody kind of approached it a little differently too, huh? Thanks to everyone who recorded, especially the the uh, game Cola Faithful who came out and helped 
bulk this out and see different kinds of games from all different for all different reasons you like the games for all different types of games that you liked it's it's really cool to hear from everybody and have this big podcast with all these different people in it so thank you for listening to this edition of the game cola podcast if you like what you heard be sure to check us out on our actual internet website gamecola.net or our youtube channel the letter g the letter c the word dot the word net gc.net is our youtube channel reminder we are now on spotify if you like to listen to podcasts that way i've heard some people say that they like the playlist feature of spotify where you can you know set instead of you know how on itunes it's always like oh i'm gonna go backwards in time with podcasts that's how i play it on the apple podcast app spotify apparently there's a way to fix that you can ask james he was the one who told me about that but thank you for listening and we've seen a couple people out there on spotify And I see you. Thank you for listening. I also see you if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening on the YouTube channel, if you're listening on the site, anywhere. I appreciate you listening. If you want to be able to participate in stuff like this, as the Game Cola Faithful did, be sure to check us out on our Discord. Our link is in, uh, the link is on the site, and the link is also in our Twitter description. You can get onto the Discord, and we do fun stuff like this. I'm trying to do more, and it's been going well so far. And I imagine it's also going to continue to be going well because it's a pretty solid foundation. There's not a really easy way to mess it up. But I may find a way. I am Joseph Martin. Anyway, uh, you can email us, podcast at gamecola.net. If that's the sort of thing that you want to do, have a question read out on a future podcast, let us know what kind of things you want to see on the podcast. I'm gesticulating around because there's no one for me to bounce off of, so I have to bounce off of myself. And I think that means that it's time to end the podcast. Check us out on Twitter. Game Cola, Facebook, Game Cola, Twitch, Game Cola, search Game Cola, and whatever social media thing that you want to find, and you'll find us. It's time to end the podcast. Thank you. With sincerity. It's always sincere, but I want to highlight the sincerity right now, because you've stuck with us for a really long time. The podcast started in 2009. It's currently 2020. It's been 11 years. About four and a half of those have been with me at the helm, and I appreciate you sticking around through everything through transitions through me getting my feet on this i've had a lot of fun with this podcast i hope to continue to have a lot more fun with all the different podcasts we're going to be doing be ready for secret of mana rpg cast and an episode of hacks and slash coming at you very soon and i think with that little bit of tidbit you will get to finish this podcast i don't know where i was going with that I never know where I'm going with anything except right now, the end of the podcast for real this time. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful time of day whenever it is, wherever it is you're listening to this edition of the Game Cola Podcast and we will see you next month. Goodbye. No one gave me stuff for a coda. I thought that someone would leave some sort of goof at the end of their little submission so that I could put in a coda, but they didn't. So now I have to pretend. I'm not pretending. I am actually a little frustrated. I'm not as frustrated as they sound, but I need a coda, so I have to do something. So here's your coda. Thanks for listening all the way to the end where the coda is, I guess. I'm sorry that I didn't have something more spontaneous and fun for you. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. See you guys later.